So, Father, may we be people this morning who hear these words of yours and put them into practice, I pray in Jesus' name. Open our hearts, humble our hearts, and speak to us, Father God. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak through your written word this morning, I pray in your name. Amen. Amy. Morning, church. All right, today I'm reading from John chapter 13, verse 31 to 35. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you this morning. Our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Well, uh, friends, I hope you were blessed by our time together in January. I know it was a little different and we were around tables, shorter services, but um, I, I just felt, and, and participating in this, this Be Still series myself, even though it's on video, that um, it's, it was a great way to kick off the year and set in place those rhythms at that heart of, of um, being in the quiet place with God. Um, and, and I feel like it was a, it's a great lead into the year and where we're going to be going. Um, it also, if I'm honest, uh, gives me a chance doing something like that in January. It gives me a chance to prepare for the year ahead, take a little bit extra time to be asking God, what are you looking for in us this year, God? Where are you leading us this year, Father? What do you want from your church in this, fa- this family, the Billabong, in 2022? Um, I've been sharing a little with our team that I, I feel that there's a couple of key areas, two key areas that I, um, that I feel God's saying so strongly just wants us to go deeper in and is saying, this is what I'm looking for from you, uh, my people. Um, really, though, they're one thing with two aspects. And last week in the video um, that I watched at the same time as you did, I hadn't, hadn't pre-watched it, um, but there was a line in that that Brian Heasley uh, talked about our relationship with God that I felt put what's been on my heart and on my mind perfectly, um, that this life with God is like breathing in and, and breathing out. Breathing in and breathe out. We breathe in only, we suffocate. We breathe out only, we'll suffocate. But we breathe in God's love in prayer and we breathe out God's love in mission. It's a rhythm. We breathe in God's love in prayer and we breathe out in mission. We're still with him in the quiet place and this becomes not the fuel or the reason but the birth place, the birthplace of mission. We don't do prayer because the job is be on mission. Prayer is the work and it births in us and leads us in where God's calling us in the world. So if you just breathe out, you suffocate if you breathe, just breathe in or just, just 
one or the other, then it, it doesn't go well for us. Another way to look at this, though, is what I focused on in our, um, or at our church family camp last year in November. Jesus modelled for us three great loves, as some people have put it. Three relationships that are to be integrated. There's firstly love of God, love of, to say together, love of, and love of the lost. We love God, we love each other in the church, and we love the lost. And, and we see Jesus model this to us most perfectly out of anyone who's ever lived. And, and this is the most fulfilling as modeled by Jesus, the most fulfilling, thriving life of a worshipper. One where these three great loves, these three relationships are not separate but integrated. They're all growing together. When we can't compartmentalize them and go, well, I've got my, my, my relationship with God over here and then I've got my church life here and then I've got my life for the rest of the week over here, they all struggle. When we neglect one and think, well, I'm all right in these, but this one's... Actually, the others are struggling because the one that we're neglecting is being neglected. They are all meant to go together. Uh, This year, and in particular in the next couple of weeks, uh, I want to focus primarily on aspects of our love of God in our prayer and intercession. I want to focus on aspects of our love in the world, the love of the lost and our witness... I really believe and I'm excited that God has ahead for us an incredible journey as we learn to, as the video said last week, breathe in in prayer and breathe out in mission. This, this rhythm, this uh, partnership with God. However, today, before we get into that, I want to focus here on the middle one. I want to focus on our love of each other because while this life of prayer is indeed the birthplace of mission, out of our time with God, we're moved to share his love, something sits firmly in the middle of the top one and the bottom one, and that's the church. His, as the scriptures put it, his body, his bride, his temple, his people. The New Testament has a lot to say about how we treat one another. I don't know if you've ever uh, looked into this, but the one another's in the Bible, all commands to one another. There's like 59 of them, I think, in the New Testament. Right? So um, some are what to do, some are what not to do. But here's just some examples. To, we are commanded to love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, live in harmony with one another. I'm just going to leave the one another out, otherwise I'll say it too many times. Build up, be like-minded, accept, one, accept admonish, greet, care, serve, bear, forgive, be patient, speak. It goes on and on and on. If you go to the do nots, this is the, the last of these slides. Do not lie to one another, Stop passing. don't pass judgment on one another, if, don't bite and devour each other. Don't let us become conceited, provoke and envy one another, slander. Like this. It just goes on and on and on. It's almost 60 commands of how we're to treat one another. So the question I ask when I, when I see that is, why are there so many commands? Why are there so many times in the Scriptures that say, this is how we ought to love and treat one another? I think the answer is found in our Scripture for today. John 13, 35 where Jesus says, by this, by this, will all people know, will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, why does it matter 
that people know we're disciples of Jesus? Is that what this is about? Because if you think about it, it's literally embedded in the term Christian, right? We are Christ, Christ followers, we're Christians. And so I think that most people have some idea that Christians have something to do with Jesus. So, that, so do they really need to, to, to know, as this verse was just, that we are Jesus' disciples? Well, it's not so much about that. People know we're followers of Jesus. What they don't necessarily know is who this Jesus really is and what this Jesus is really like. It's not about others knowing we follow Jesus and that's it, as opposed to you know, following Muhammad or some other god or person. It's about knowing what the one we follow is like. A disciple reflects and models the way, the lifestyle, the character, the thinking of their rabbi. That's the Jewish, how it worked in the Jewish mindset in the, in the first century. How we treat one another, Jesus is saying, reflects to others, not just that we follow Jesus, but who our God and our Lord is like. What is like. So, this is a difficult question to ask ourselves this morning, but I want to ask it. How are we doing? How are we, the church, doing in Love one another, and by this will everyone know that we're disciples of Jesus, and this is what he's like. I don't know what your perception is, but here's, uh, I just want to share with you some of the conversations that I've personally had in the last four or five weeks. Um, all but one of these is, is with non-Christian people, people who aren't churchgoers, who don't really consider themselves people of faith. Um, uh, so first of all, I was uh, chatting to a friend, and I asked him, if uh, I had the chance to ask him if church or faith was on their family's radar. And he said, well, actually, my granddad was a pastor, but he was abusive. So my dad didn't, you know, because he received that, didn't force religion on us. And I tried it as a teenager, but just didn't really sit right. And so, yeah, my family's not religious. I was chatting with another friend this time. It was a Christian person. um, And he said, my dad was a pastor, but when my mum and dad had some tension in their marriage the elders very quickly removed him from leadership. And as a teenager at the time, that was so confusing and hurtful for him, the dad's son, and I walked away from the church for a long time. He's recently been coming back to his faith. Praise God. Um, Another person um, said, I still have faith, but I just struggle with how many Christians are judgmental. Another person, I grew up in a very strict religious family, and I don't want anything to do with that anymore. These are all, these are not like hypotheticals, these are all real conversations I've had with all but one of them, people who are not, not people of faith, in the last four or five weeks. Now, it's easy to point the finger and blame and go, oh, well, thank goodness we're not like that. That's the problem other Christians have, or other churches have. But I bring this up today for one very important reason. And I hinted to this in, in my email this week. The church in our city is about to face the greatest test in a long time when it comes to how we love one another. And this is due to the impact of something that you can only see through a microscope. Now, to be clear, the the virus itself, COVID-19, is is not going to cause us to to stop loving one another. In fact, a friend of ours who contracted COVID a couple of days ago, the immediate response of all of her family and friends is, how can we help? Um, you know, we're, we're praying for you, um, we're praying for those around you. Right, it's an expression, it's a response of love. So if anything, the virus itself is going to bring out love from, from each other. However, 
our approach to handling all the complexities of this situation, our views on how the government is handling it, our perspective on masks and vaccinations and mandates and safety measures and workplace policies, all of this is so quickly becoming the greatest test in recent times of our love for each other in the church. Uh, as a pastor and someone who's been in various ministry settings for about 18 years, I'm in communication with like lots of people from all around the church, of all flavours and streams and varieties and denominations. And, and um, in the last few months, I have to admit, and, and so I can't avoid this sermon today because I have to admit, I have heard a mind-boggling variety of perspectives and views and approaches within the church, not outside the church, within the church, to all of the issues around COVID. And not just a range of views like, oh yeah, maybe it'd be better if we approach it this way, but I mean, you know, I'm talking like passionate, I will lay my life down for this view, vocal, I'll die on this hill kind of stuff, right? And, and I, I see this thing bubbling away and I'm asking God, God, where is this going? Not COVID and all the situation in the world. Where is this going in the church? And how we end up portraying the character of the God we serve. Because the greatest risk in my view is not that the church suffers or that Christians get inconvenienced, although I recognize the complexities around that and the issues around that. But I think the greatest risk that we, is that we, the church, fail even more than we already have to live out John 13, 35. And our witness suffers for generations to come because our love for one another didn't tell the world whose disciples we were. Now, that being said, one thing's really clear. There will be differences of opinion among all Christians on COVID and vaccinations and the related issues. That's a given. That's, I'm not in any way saying that we all need to somehow align our view and have one view, and if not, that's just not good enough. There will be all sorts of different approaches that we will feel in our heart of hearts and we'll have convictions that, that need to be taken. Um, that's, that's the reality. What's also clear is that there are very likely, um, there very likely are things for us to be concerned about when it comes to government approaches, freedom of religion, how we can practice our faith in this current cultural climate. Um, the world is rapidly changing. There's a whole heap of stuff we're going to have to keep our eyes open. I'm not denying that in any way. The enemy loves to prowl around like a roaring lion and just see who he can devour in a whole range of things. It's also, though, not just about COVID. I don't know if you've noticed, but let's say we just removed COVID from the world altogether right now, and it was like men in black. They kind of zapped everyone, and everybody's memories just disappeared of the whole thing, right? Let's say that happened. There's still a huge range of very, very hot topics that... Christians are not going to see eye to eye on, I don't think, until Jesus comes back. Race, gender, politics, climate change, Australia Day, Invasion Day, to name a few issues that you probably haven't seen come up in the news um, in recent times. Uh, it's everywhere, right? And, and, and sometimes we're very strongly held opinions. The question we're going to have to ask ourselves as believers in all of these things is what hill am I willing to die on? How important is an issue that I'm willing to speak or think about a brother or sister in Christ as my enemy or opponent rather than a brother and sister who's saved by the same grace I am? How important is, is an issue? Now, sometimes they are important. Sometimes 
Believe you me. I, look, uh, no, don't share that, Luke. Um, <laughs> put it this way. We run a community centre with 15 different tenants. There's been issues. We have to uh, be challenge others, other Christians, and say, look, we might have different opinions, but we've got to actually look after each other here. Like, we're going to disagree. We can disagree, even vehemently, and still express sacrificial love to one another so that the world looks on and goes, what's with them? What's, what's with those Christians? They, something's, something's off in a really good way. Are our opinions more important than our love for one another and the way we navigate through this? Now, some of you will get concerned at this point that I'm speaking about relativism. And I'm going to, oh, it's talking about relative truth. There is no truth. It's just, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, there's, there's my truth and your truth, and there's no real truth. No. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's the truth. And that's one of the most black and white statements Jesus said. But... When it comes to rightness and actually being right or having and holding the truth, think about it this way. Last year, um, we studied the book of Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, and uh, about halfway through, uh, if we can just go to the next slide, um, Rachel uh, spoke, uh, unpacked expertly chapter 8 on food sacrifice to idols. Right, and this was about how in that time in Corinth, some um, believers felt that eating meat from an animal that had been used in a pagan ritual wasn't, was a problem. Others felt, no, it's not a problem for us, including Paul. And Paul, in fact, said, there is no connection. If you eat the meat, it's not going to mean that you're enslaved to that pagan god, right? There's no connection between the, the, the meat and the... And so he actually said, this is, this is the truth. This is the right perspective. However, there was a very important principle because he then said... Don't use your, and I'm paraphrasing, don't use your freedom to eat whatever meat you like to, in such a way that others are tripped up and led into sin, if in good conscience they can't. There's a very, very important principle here. Sometimes we are right, but it's not just about your being right. You may be Right, your opinion might be so aligned with God's that you couldn't possibly be more right. And you could be the best representative of God's specific opinion on all things COVID, politics, race, gender, climate, you name it, and yet treat your brother or sister in a way that alienates, puts down, and dishonors. And this is what we need to be careful with. Um, there could be someone who's so wrong... <laughs> that they almost might as well be aligned with, with everything that's not God and, and yet be treating one another in a way that puts us to shame. And so we need to go, it's not just about our being right. And so one topic in the midst of all of this that comes up is, well, what about Satan and evil? And this is the point where the prayer team start praying hard for me as I go into this. I've heard people in recent months connecting certain approaches to COVID on, on both sides of the spectrum, you know, the vaccination over here, anti-vax on this side, with the work of the enemy. Now, let me be clear, I don't deny that the enemy is at work in all sorts of cunning and sly ways, including in this whole situation, this whole pandemic. But let's consider something for a second. What was, and still is, the devil's issue? 
If you know the, the story that the, 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 you know, the Satan fell from heaven, what was his issue? What caused his fall and made him the very enemy of God? Pride. Pride. Now, this is going to upset some of us because, um, and it upsets me when I even speak to myself, because it's, it's like, oh, man, this is, this is about looking inward, right? Here's what, here's what I want to say. Evil, the work of Satan, is unfortunately is more present in those who use their rightness to condemn and put down and belittle than in particular issues, uh, sorry, approaches to societal, environmental, social and medical issues. The enemy may be at work in this stuff, but he's, I think he's more at work in those who would seek to be prideful about their own opinion and put down and demonize others. Maybe you're challenged by that. Maybe you agree with that. Whatever the case, it's really easy to point the finger and go, you know, they need to change. Whether you're vaccinated and upset with the anti-vaxxers or you're unvaccinated and upset with the people who are pro-mandate, it's easy to say they need to change, they need to do this, they need But is there any hint of evil? Is there any hint of pride, the work of Satan himself, in me? How am I speaking? How am I thinking about that person? Especially when it comes to brothers and sisters. I want to ask you a question. What do you think are the five things that Jesus talked most about in the, according to the, sorry, in the Gospels, in the New Testament? What do you think are the five things he talked most about? Just say them out to me. Sorry? Oh, you got me, Greg. Well done. Money. Yep, money's in there. What, what do you think is the top five things? So, presumably God. Yeah, yep, love. Any other, any other thoughts? Faith, peace, hell, right. Okay. Let, let me tell you. So, this is, I, I got bought this brilliant book with all sorts of stats and research into, um, you know, what the Bible actually says. And it's, it's a fantastic book. Um, called the Infographic Bible, and um, these are the top five themes that Jesus spoke about, taught about in his, in his time uh, on earth. Kingdom of God, makes sense. Father God, right? Faith, money, and Satan. Then it's God's judgment, movement building, spiritual authority, healings and miracles, Lord and prophet, a few others. Prayer, where do you think that goes? Number 19, salvation. Number 33 on the list, love, number 47. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying Jesus didn't talk about love and advocate for love, but it's like, whoa, Jesus spoke a lot about Satan. Top five, number five, 30 occurrences in the New Testament. Why would he do this? I think it's because one of the greatest traps we can fall into is denying his existence. I'm going to tell you why. Right? Denying there is a presence, a being hell-bent on doing and perpetuating evil is what he wants us to believe. Because if we deny his existence, we end up demonizing others. We have one enemy. One enemy. His name is Satan, the deceiver, the liar, Lucifer. And his greatest lie convincing followers of Jesus he doesn't exist. I just started reading the screw tape letters and C.S. Lewis says there's two, two traps you fall into. An, un, an unhealthy obsession with him and evil and demons and everything or just saying that it's, it's just all a myth. Satan is called the liar and his greatest lies convincing us he doesn't exist. If you can't do that, the next best thing is to get us to equate someone or something else with evil. So the blame is on that person or on that thing or on that regime, not on the devil himself and his work. 
But the, the good news about this, friends, is that nothing will unite the church more than having a common enemy and going, we're not fighting with each other. Our battle is against the enemy of God and only against him. We only have one enemy. Is he working through systems and people and governments and regimes and all sorts of things? Yes, of course, he always has. But if I have pride in my heart, then he's working through me too. That's a scary thought. Sadly, sometimes Satan does work out his evil through God's people, the church. Have we been part of that? Not comfortable to ask that question, but have we been part of that? Have we not loved one another in such a way that we reflect who Jesus is to the world? Unfortunately, the answer is sometimes yes, and we face this huge challenge as the body of Christ in this COVID world. But it's also an incredible opportunity An incredible opportunity right in front of us, really ramping up right now. A huge opportunity because to say there's one common enemy and aside from all that, we display who Jesus is by our love of one another. The harder it gets to do that, the more opportunity we have to shine. I want to read to you a letter prepared by a number of leaders and pastors' networks around Perth, which I think has been a wonderful example of the church shining and who it's meant to be. Uh, This letter has represented hundreds of pastors and churches. was sent out a few weeks ago uh, to the Premier. Um, Some of you read it, but I want to read it again. Uh, It says this, Dear Premier, greetings from the Christian community in Western Australia. This letter is to let you know about a grassroots initiative which has come together through various leaders and prayer networks as we prepare for the reopening of Western Australia's borders on 5th of February. I know that didn't happen, but even still. During the month of February, WA Christian community will be praying strategically and specifically for our state at this crucial time. Hundreds of intercessors will be involved from across the denominations, representing many diverse cultures, but all united in their concern for welfare of the community and their faith in God to undertake in difficult times. The month of prayer will begin with three days of prayer and fasting. We just had that. We'll be praying for those in leadership positions in WA, in government, health, education and business spheres, as well as the wider community. There will also be a supporting initiative on social media to encourage people to pray for those on the front line, nurses, doctors, hospital administrators, other staff, schools, teachers, students, police officers and ambulance crew. Prayers will also be offered for those working in essential services such as food distribution, networks and supermarkets. This initiative is supported uh, by hundreds of churches and ministry groups, including the prayer geo, Pastors Prayer Geo Networks, with churches in all local Government areas, 98.5 FM, Perth together. During February, 98.5 FM will broadcast short prayers from church and community leaders throughout the day. And in closing, we want to thank you for all your hard work over the previous two years to keep our community safe. We appreciate that managing this pandemic brings you a greater workload and significant pressures to deal with. Through our prayers, we will support and encourage you in your leadership role as together we face this new phase of the pandemic. Yours sincerely, Nick Scott, Pastors Geo Networks. Now, what I love about this is that it matters not whether you think McGowan is the saviour or the antichrist, which, by the way, he is neither. (laughs) Neither. The point of the whole thing is this. The church has a responsibility. The church, and uh, maybe I need, I'll go more into this in, in the coming weeks as to, you know, where, where, where does Scripture say this? Well, the church has a responsibility to stand before Jesus, our God of mercy, and intercede on behalf of the city. 
to intercede on the pe- behalf of the people of the city. We have a responsibility to love this city, to bring hope to this city, to ultimately show Jesus to this city. And it can only do that. The church can only do that when it's united in love. Differences of opinion aside. And so we need to ask, do we have a heart of pride or a heart of humility? A heart of sacrificial love to one another, towards one another? That they may know Jesus. If I can get the music team to come up. I want to finish this morning just with a um, a section of Ephesians 2. This was in my reading this morning from Bible in one year. And um, I just felt, well, this is spot on. A challenge to us and a reminder to us of who we're called to be in this time. Ephesians 2.11 onwards. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who has, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Father, I just want to thank you for this astounding and amazing truth that you are making us to be a temple, a dwelling place of your very presence. And as we pray and worship and respond to your word and to your call, your commands to love one another, to bear with one another, Lord, that you would humble our hearts. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, Father. That everything that we may do and say would be for the sake of your kingdom. Make us a holy people, I pray. And a people of love where others look on and see the God we serve in our relationships with each other.